Welcome to a week two of our series, Hope for Hope, um, and uh, today is going to be about sleep, so just pay attention to the sleep aspect of today. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different. I don't usually preach this way, but uh, coming off sabbatical, uh, I'm feeling a little rebellious. Um, and this way that I'm going to preach is I'm just going to start reading. I'm going to read two stories for you. Um, there are stories that occur uh, a few years apart. And through these two stories, we're going to track one character and kind of the life and decision-making and change that this character uh, experiences. And then um, near the end of these stories, I'm going to ask you a question. And if I do this right, <laughs> no promises, if I do this right, um, hopefully online and in the room, you are going to be... Um, kind of hopefully thinking through this question. Um, this is kind of one of those questions that uh, when I kind of made this connection in these stories, I, I was honestly like, wow, like what, how would I answer a question like this? Um, it's one of those that um, you, you have to think about how to make sense of it because um, there's a lot of different answers um, and people could have different perspectives on how to answer this very same question. Uh, but I think if you answer it personally one way, uh, I think it can really change the direction and quality of your life. So it's kind of a big, big question, I think. Anyways, so I'm going to read the stories. I'm just going to jump in and then, and then hit you with this question. So bear with me as we kind of set all of this up because um, I think it's worth it. So today I'm going to start off reading a story that you might have heard maybe way too many times. I know I've preached on it a good handful of times. Uh, it comes from Mark chapter 4, uh, and it's a story of a boat... Jesus, uh, 12 of his newly recruited disciples, like they're pretty new at this. They haven't been on the job very long with the whole following Jesus being his disciple kind of thing. And then there's a storm. And now there's a couple of stories with Jesus on a boat and a storm, but this is just one of the, at least in Mark's account of, uh, of Jesus' ministry. This is like at the beginning of it, okay? And um, so, so I'm going to start off, uh, Mark chapter 4, and you just listen and just imagine in your mind, like you did when you were a kid and your parents read to you, if your parents read to you, hopefully your parents read to you. Okay, on that day, when evening came, he said to them, Jesus, let's go over to the other side of the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. It's not really a sea because it's actually pretty small. You can see to the other side. Sorry, that was really punny. You can see to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Okay. Um, so he dismissed the crowd, because there was a crowd there uh, listening to Jesus teach, and they took him along with them in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So they took Jesus in their boat, and the disciples and everybody headed to the other side of the lake. And as they were going across the lake, a fierce gale of wind developed, or a storm, depending on your translation, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. Now, if you've ever gone fishing before, um, you may know what this is like. Uh, I was fishing as a teenager up in Minnesota. We were walleye fishing, and uh, in the Midwest at least, I know some of you online are not from the Midwest, but in the Midwest we get these wonderful thunderstorms. Stephanie, my wife, and I are huge thunderstorm fans. We love seeing like the wall of clouds approaching, and at least in the Midwest, and this was I remember living in Seattle, this was like such a foreign concept because they were like, but you have tornadoes in the Midwest. And I'm like, and do you have earthquakes? Like, I can't run from an earthquake, but I could definitely get away from a tornado. Um, you know, when, when there's a tornado, what does a good Midwesterner do? They go where? 
Outside, absolutely. Yeah, we got to see this sucker come in. Yeah. Um, and so this is actually a picture from the Sea of Galilee with a storm coming in from the Mediterranean Sea. And it's ominous. Like, you know, it's like, this is going to be good, right? But you can see, even in this picture, punny again, um, you can see the other side of the shore, even as the storm is coming in. And so we were out walleye fishing, same kind of thing. Dark blue wall starts moving in. Um, you know, and, and you love, at least I do, it just kind of swallows, the cloud just swallows everything as it moves. It's like it just eats it up, and then eventually it hits the sun, and then it gets really dark really quickly. The wind picks up, and that was time to get off the lake. So we drove off the lake, got into our cabin, which faced the lake, and then the wind and the storm hits, and the rain start coming down in sheets, and, and what happens is, you lose the other side of the lake. You can't see your way around anymore. I mean, it's just like a hundred, couple hundred feet off the dock is all you can see because of the torrential, windy downpour. And that was what was about to happen off the Mediterranean Sea into the Sea of Galilee. And so if that's where you were in that moment, or if I had been that teenager out on that, you know, aluminum fishing boat in the middle of that, it's very disorientating. You don't even know which direction's the direction that you want to go, and you feel out of control. And anytime, I don't know about you, but anytime I feel out of control, I'm not um, the, maybe the kindest of person, okay? I get a bit frustrated. I get a bit sometimes angry. As a pastor, we don't like to call it angry. We call it frustrated, but I get frustrated. And uh, so I can imagine these disciples these men, these men who have just been following Jesus for just a couple of weeks, you know, they just committed to following him, and immediately, a few weeks in, they found themselves with Jesus in the midst of a storm, and they have no idea which way they're going. The waves are starting to come over the boat, and they're freaking out. And what's really funny is a good portion of them, like 40% of the 12 disciples, were fishermen. In fact, this was the lake they grew up in. And in fact, they grew up fishing on this lake. And one of those guys, his name was Peter. He was so comfortable on this lake. But in this moment, with everything that was going on, he was not comfortable. And we know that because what happens next? Uh, and the boat was filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, in the front, asleep on a cushion. And there's a lot of explanations for like what was happening in this moment. I know some people say, well, Jesus wasn't actually asleep. He was like trying to teach him a lesson. So he's just laying there trying to see what the disciples would do. You know, teachable moment like every good parent does when the house is on fire, you just kind of sleep and see, do the, kids, do the kids get themselves out? You know, I don't know. I don't think that's what was happening. I think Jesus had been working pretty hard teaching and you get worn out pretty quick, and I think he was genuinely asleep. And the reason I know that, if you've ever had a small child in a car seat, and you're driving along, and they fall asleep, does that ever look comfortable to you? No, it's like this, right? And, and they're just, you know, and totally out. Perfect example, yesterday, my daughter Easton and I were flying, and it was so super bumpy. I was like hitting my head and all this stuff and like prepping for this message in my mind. And I look over, and we were playing with blocks. She was sitting right next to me. We were playing with blocks, and, she, and we hit the bumps, and what does she do? She's out. Here's a video. I took a video of it. It's upside down because I was like this, taking the video, okay? This is her. And you can see, 
And she's like, all good. Totally enjoying it. In fact, I think this put her to sleep. I'm not dramatically moving the camera. This is just me moving with the bumps and she's just totally out. It's adorable, right? I think that was Jesus, just a cute little toddler sitting up there in the front of the boat while the disciples are freaking out. So what do the disciples do? They go to Jesus and they woke him up and said, teacher, do you not care that we are all about to die? I love it. Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, hush, be still, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said, kind of, you know, I think mildly incredulously, why are you all afraid? Do you not have faith? And I got to think their mouths are just like, like, what are we not? Well, we're not afraid now, but we were. But what just happened? And that's kind of how they responded. They became much more afraid, very afraid now, because he just said, stop, and everything stopped. And they said, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Because they just met this guy. They've just been following him for a little bit. And he literally just says, storm, knock it off. <laughs> and it's done. Wild. Now think about if this was your story and you were writing this account and you were telling Mark because tradition says that Peter gave the account to Mark and Mark wrote this down. So for a long period of time in church tradition, these are Peter's stories. And Peter doesn't write himself into the story as the guy who had it all together. The guy who grew up on this lake was very familiar with lakes. I'm sure has been through many storms and he writes himself into the story and saying, I would thought I was about to die and I was afraid. And then I became more afraid because Jesus told the storm to stop. The reason I think you write your story honestly into a story like this is because that's what actually happened. And you want everybody to know what you experienced and the amazing thing that occurred in your life through Jesus. And so this is Peter. This is how Peter's story with Jesus starts. And years pass, and Jesus does some incredible things in Peter's, to Peter. I mean, to Peter and then to others, and Peter saw it. And then Jesus was arrested. Nails and arms, uh, arms and legs nailed to a cross. He was spit on, he was beaten, he was impaled, and he dies. And all the disciples thought it was over. Because if the man who tells storms to be quiet dies, then he's not going to be impacting or changing the world anymore. And he might not be as incredible as he said he was. And yet three days later, boom, the tomb is empty. They're like, where's Jesus? And then Peter meets Jesus on the beach of the very same lake that he grew up on, on the very same lake that Jesus calmed the storm on. And Jesus not only forgives Peter for Peter betraying him and all this, not betraying him, but you know, re rejecting him and saying he didn't even know, but he puts Peter in charge of the church and says, good luck, you're in charge, I'm up to heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes. Now fast forward, and we're getting really close to our question. Fast forward a little bit of time, maybe a year or two, maybe just a few months. I, it's hard to say exactly. But Peter's out there preaching about Jesus now. 
for good reason, because Peter has just been through the wildest of journeys with Jesus, and Jesus died, rose again, put Peter in charge, and Peter's like, I'm running with this, because if there is a man who protects his own death, dies and rises again, and pulls it off, his own death and resurrection, and says, you can have that same life in me, he's like, I'm sold, I'm gonna find it in you, you are my Lord, you are my King, I'm gonna do it, and he is out there preaching, to thousands of people. And thousands of people's lives were changed because of Peter. Because Peter made Jesus his king and his Lord. And thousands of people followed him in that. But the Romans didn't like that Peter was claiming and all these Christians were claiming that somebody else was king in their life. And so they tried to stop it like they tried to stop Jesus. And so you fast forward through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get to the Acts of the Apostles, or the book of Acts, which is written by the same guy who wrote Luke. His name was Luke. Fun fact for you. Learned something new today, didn't you? So in Acts chapter 12, so some period of time has gone by, Herod, the king, not the king king, but the king of that region, laid hands on someone who belonged to the church and got these people. And then he had James, the brother of John. So one of Jesus' disciples executed with a sword. So now the Romans are starting to pick off the Christians because they're getting out of hand, starting to pick off these Jesus followers. And so they find James, the brother of John, and executed him with a sword. James was a fisherman like Peter on the Sea of Galilee. James got his call to, minute, call to follow Jesus like at the same time. It was Simon Peter was called and then James was called. They were on competing boats. They weren't on the same boat, but they both fished the same lake. They grew up together and they were called to follow Jesus at the same time. I mean, imagine how you feel. You had this friend for 30 plus years of your life. You saw them almost every day. Your families were connected. Your kids went to school together, all that kind of stuff. Your friend was beheaded for believing and preaching the same things that you were doing. So you were doing this one behavior and they were doing this one behavior and they got themselves executed. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna keep doing the same thing or are you gonna change? Imagine that. Peter, after all he'd been through, growing up, fishing accidents, meeting Jesus, all this stuff, he loses his friend, James, to Jesus to declaring Jesus as king, to preaching Jesus' name. And now Peter's got a choice. What's he gonna do? How's he gonna handle it? Well, Peter doesn't stop. When Herod saw that it pleased the Jews to kill James, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. And those were the days of the 11 bread. And when he had arrested him, he put him in prison turning him over to not one squad, not two squads, not three squads, but four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. It's one of the first references of the church, by the way. And the church was just a group of people in houses. So it was just people in a house praying on Peter's behalf that something would change. So Peter's in prison with the inevitable coming because if James was, or James was executed, 
then Peter would certainly be tried in this, you know, probably somewhat false trial and would be executed. And this brings us very, very close to the question. And it comes up in this really small detail in this next verse, Acts chapter 12, verse 6, that a lot of times we just skip over. Like if you're actually reading your Bible, which I know you all do every single day, but if you're actually out there reading, amen, yes, we are. Okay, <clears throat> we're reading our Bibles every day. Such a good church. Okay, you're reading your Bibles and you just read this little line and it kind of doesn't really click and you just kind of move on like, that's fine, yep. This is the line which leads to the question, okay? The night before Herod was to bring him to trial to execute him, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, what would you make of this right here? Peter was sleeping. Would you make much of it? Would you think twice or would you just keep reading? Here's my question. I'll explain a little bit. Why was Peter able to sleep at a time like this? Okay, well, don't answer it yet. We'll get there. <laughs> it was rhetorical. I'm going to start putting that. This is rhetorical. Why was Peter able to sleep at a time like this? Okay, well, would you? Faith or not, would you? Soldiers on each side, sentries at the door, chained up, knowing that tomorrow you would be beheaded. Would you sleep? The night before this storm is gonna overtake you. The waters of death are coming over the boat of your life. Would you sleep? After 17 years, the US federal government began a string of executions in 2020. And they lasted from July, the middle of July, through the transition of power and the uh, election in January. And they went at it with a fervor, really, um, executing on average about one person a week for that period of time, after 17 years. One almost every month, month after month after month, um, out in Indiana at uh, Terre Haute Federal Penitentiaries. That's where the federal execution area is. <clears throat> A week before the executions begin, what happens is you take the prisoners and you put them in a special confinement area to watch them under 24-hour surveillance so that the prisoners don't take their own lives and they can make sure that the government is able to carry it out. So they move three of the next prisoners to be executed, I think it was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, to these cells. And on the night of the first execution, after 17 years, on the night of the first execution, the prisoner, one of the prisoners, one of the three prisoners, not the one that would be executed, but one of the other ones, said this, and I'm quoting here. Every hour, Monday night, we were waiting for them to come and get him. And nothing was being told. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, waiting and wondering. I know you didn't need that story to know the truth, that you would not be sleeping, knowing your death was coming. Yet Peter was sleeping. As a Christian, as a pastor even, I'm thinking to myself, 
would I be sleeping? Because let's be honest, you and I, we don't sleep well when a lot less worse things are happening. Isn't that fair to say? When you're afraid of what the morning's gonna bring, what's gonna happen the next day, whatever that day is, do you sleep well the night before? When you go to bed hurting, physically, emotionally hurting, do you think you're gonna sleep well? Peacefully? When a relationship in your life is broken, when someone has hurt you and you're in pain, when finances are tight, when you had a diagnosis that you weren't expecting, when you experience job loss, when you're overwhelmed at work and you just feel totally inundated, that you can't do a good job, that the demands are too high, that you're not fulfilling your commitments, do you sleep well? When your kids are struggling, when your kids are sick, when your kids are broken, when your kids are feeling lost and depressed, do you sleep well? Do you sleep well when you're lost, when you're lonely, when there is shame and guilt on your shoulders, when that thing we call sin is weighing you down, do you sleep well? And maybe, Maybe you are amazing at compartmentalizing things, but you're still not at peace. Maybe you can get to bed just fine, maybe because you're just so tired, but there's not peace in the storm. Yet Peter was at peace. Yet Peter slept well on a stone floor Chained, death at the door. Why? Is faith enough? Is your faith enough to answer this question? Why was Peter able to sleep at a time like this? Do you have the faith it would take to fall asleep and sleep well? The same man who shook Jesus awake said, wake up. Do you not care that we are perishing? Afraid for his life on a fishing boat he had spent decades on. That same man in this story was sleeping like a baby. What happened between that storm on that lake and this storm in that prison cell? What happened? What happened that brought Peter peace that passes understanding, that doesn't make sense? When you sit here and you ask yourself this question, what brought Peter, to this place of peace, it doesn't make sense. It really does pass understanding. And then I want you to ask yourself, and maybe this is where the sermon ends for you. Maybe you just need to tune out and you gotta think hard and think deeply in here about this question. Is this the kind of peace that you have in your life? Is this the kind of peace? Is this the kind of hope that you have in your life that you can rest even in a situation like this. Some of you, the only way for you to have peace in storms is to control everything. You have plans and you have routines and you stick to it because that's how you have peace because anytime the plan or the routine or the system that you have set up varies, you get stressed, you get overwhelmed. 
And part of that is your personality type, but I would challenge you to be honest with yourself that part of that is a, re- is a, a reflection of your faith or lack of faith. And you can say, well, Taylor, that's a little presumptive, that's a little mean. Well, only you can really answer that, but I challenge you to think deeply about it. Because if a slight change to routine or your control impacts you that greatly, where is Christ in your life? Because you can't control it all, the truth is. You may try, but you can't control death. Way out of your hands. You can maybe push it off a little bit, but it is inevitable. You can't control perfectly how others treat you. You can't control who your boss is all the time. You can't control the economy, amen. You can't control the behaviors of others. And sometimes, come on, sometimes you can't even control yourself. So how do you have peace like Peter? What happened to Peter? What happened from that first storm to that second storm? To me, it really comes down to two things. One, he just got, he, he's living here, he's chose to live oblivious to the world. And you've, I'm sure you've met people like this, and actually I think all of us try to do this sometimes, we just kind of ignore it, we try to live oblivious to it, just become out of touch with reality or the consequences of our actions. Sometimes, I'm sure you would never say this out loud because you're all perfectly good Christians. <laughs> you call people crazy. Because you're like, you're just not, you're not connecting the dots. It doesn't make sense. Reality doesn't seem to work for you. Or you, you're moving forward with a false sense of hope. You're hoping for something that's just not gonna happen. It's not magic. You've, you've thought that about other people, haven't you? And sometimes it might be fair to say you needed to think about that with yourself sometimes. We try to live it our own way. False hope is false for a reason. It's not real. So the only thing I can think is Peter just lost complete touch with reality. In fact, you could say that about a lot of his other peers, the other disciples. You could say that about Paul and some of his writings. It's like, Paul, the only reason you'd even do this, the only reason you'd say, hey, I love suffering because of I get to be a model for Christ. I get to show the love of Christ I get to um, you know, glorify him in my suffering and I count it as such a blessing. One response is you can say, well, you just live oblivious to reality, Paul. Or the other option is that you have a deep, abiding and powerful trust and faith in the man who death doesn't seem to hold down. And that's Jesus. Maybe Peter saw what he says he saw. Maybe he experienced what he says he experienced. And what he experienced changed his heart in a powerful way. That Peter, after watching hundreds of people be healed of their sicknesses, thousands of people fed, in fact, he saw Jesus raise someone from the dead that after Peter sat there for days and days and weeks and years listening to the truth Jesus taught, listened to that truth and realized after 
time after time after time, Jesus was right. And when Jesus brought truth, he didn't condemn people with his truth, with the truth. He didn't make them feel condemned. He set people free. And over time, that set Peter's heart free. And it saved him. And it transformed him like it saved and transformed other people. And other people, like Peter, decided to make Jesus the king of their life. Now think about what a king means. A king is in charge of your life. A king is in charge of everything in his kingdom. And you have to live by his rules and under his leadership and in his, hopefully, love. And Peter decided to do that because Peter sat there how many times Jesus got up and he preached why are you guys worrying about things why are you guys afraid he'd say that all the time over and over and over why why are you worried about what you're going to eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes can any one of you add an hour or a day or a week to your life and worry it's like well but if I don't worry, I'm living outside of reality. I'm living out of touch with reality. No, no, no. You can see a storm coming, can't you? And you know the storm is bad, so you get out of the way. And you can do that worry-free. Hey, storm's coming. Let's go back to dock. Let's change what we're doing here. Hey, maybe this isn't the path I'm supposed to be on. Hey, anybody got any suggestions of a new path I could choose? Hey, Lord, do you have another suggestion of the path that I could choose here? Could you offer me guidance? And I can do that and not worry. They're not synonymous. You don't have to be afraid. And even when you die, because Peter was there when Jesus said, even when you die, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to go ahead of you, and I'm going to prepare a room in my Father, God in heaven's house, for you. There is going to be a room with your name on it, and I'm going to go make the bed. And I'm going to go vacuum it. So when you show up, it is ready for you. What in your life do you genuinely have to worry about if you know there is a room for you in God's house, in heaven. And then he saw Jesus die, and days later, that, that same man who died is on the beach with nail-pierced hands making sausages for Peter and his disciples. The same Jesus who called him on that very same lake, who calmed that very same storm on that very same lake, it like came full circle for Peter. And to me, that's the point at which we all and Peter say, Jesus, you, boy, you are the Lord. You are the king of my life. You are the king that calms storms. You are the king that makes a place for me in heaven. You got it covered. What do I need to worry about? I can sleep no matter what's ahead because I know in pretty much every instance, you got it. That's the kind of king I put my life in, his hands. That's the kind of king I want to follow. That's the kind of king I want to trust for the direction of my life. That's the kind of king who brings hope. The kind of king who would die for someone else so that they could live, and that someone else being you and me. What king in history has done such a thing sacrificed himself and only himself so that his subjects could live. And even in death, 
That is not the end, and there is life after. In the last words of the um, last man who died in that week in July, the last words was a poem um, recited. Very last words. You know, everybody gets last words, and they have a chance to say something. And this was the last words that he chose. I have desired to go where springs not fail, to fields where flies no sharp and sided hail, and a few lilies blow. And I have asked to be where no storms come, where the green swell is in the havens dumb or in the harbor and out of the swing of the sea. I'm not in the unknown anymore. I'm in the very safe, very much known, loved, and cared for. I am with my Father. I am with my Lord. And in that, I will have peace. That sounds like peace to me. But that man would also tell you that Jesus changed his life in a notable way. A life where you own what you've done and you find peace in his forgiveness. So here's what I invite you. You don't have to, but I invite you to think about, to think about, to think of the hope you'll bring <clears throat> with Christ as your king. <clears throat> think of the hope you'll bring with Christ as, you, as your king, just like Peter did. Because what happened to Peter? An angel showed up and broke him out of prison. Peter got out of prison. He's like, what just happened? Was that real? He goes to the, one of the houses of the church, <clears throat> or the church is in there fervently praying on Peter's behalf. And he knocks at the door, and the woman comes to the door, and he's like, hey, it's me, it's Peter. And she's like, what? And so she runs back to go tell everybody, and Peter's just standing at the door like, hey, you gotta let me in, or no? No, she was so excited, so hope-filled, so overwhelmed at the love and the and the kindness and the power of her Lord that she had to go tell everybody first. And so Peter just hung outside until she remembered that she left Peter outside and let him back in. She was so overwhelmed. That, they wrote that into the story. Why? Because I think that's actually how it happened. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of powerful at the same time. So think about this. Think about the hope that you can bring to your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates, if God has brought you such hope in your life right now. <clears throat> men, men, think about the hope that you can bring with Christ as your king, the king that defeats death and calms storms. What if you brought that kind of composure and faith to your family, to your work? in the chaos, in the storms, that you trust that your king has your back and that your king is gonna teach you things even in trials. And you teach your family that even in trials, your king, the Lord, your savior, Jesus, is gonna get you through. And women, I get it 90% of the time, you're the rock anyways, okay? So you don't have a lot to do here. But maybe you need to remember that you're not alone that you don't need to stress, you don't need to worry, you don't need to play the games with comparison traps of others and other families and other individuals, that, that you could just sit and let Christ's love fill you and define you 
that he, as your ultimate king, defines who you are. Not even your husband, not your, your partner, your spouse, your loved ones, your friends, your coworkers, your boss. They don't define you. He defines you. And that's where you need to start. Honestly, that's where we all need to start and letting his hope fill us so we can leave calm and at peace, even in the storms. If you would bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us. Because really without you, we can't do it. Really without Lord, without you, Lord, all we can do is manufacture peace. Without you, Lord, all we can do is try to control things. All we can do is try to fill up our bank account where it's full enough that we can find peace, but it's never gonna be full enough. All we can do is try to buy enough or um, move up in the company enough or have perfect, a perfect family enough, but it's never gonna be enough. And we kind of know that. But we think if we have enough, then we'll have peace, but it's never gonna be enough. We'll never be able to control our own actions enough without you. And someday we all have to decide. We all have to decide. We can either live oblivious to the world and oblivious to you and try to navigate it that way, or we can realize this is your world. This is your universe and we are your creation and we can find peace in that, in your love, in your forgiveness of sin, in your, in your deep grace and truth for us and you will teach us and you will guide us and you will define us and when we let that happen when we let your spirit your good spirit into our hearts we can be transformed and we can find peace that passes understanding peace that allows us to sleep even in the darkness even when the storm is coming and consuming, even when we're overwhelmed and behind, even when we want to try to grasp at our own control, but we know it's never gonna be enough, and that we surrender to your lordship and accept your hope and live from a place of trust and faith in you. Lord, help us, because we need it. Humble us so we can accept it. Transform us so that we can be free. And live the life that you have created and given to us, not the life that we're trying to just fit in a box and make work for us, but in the life that you have created for us. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom and the people and the challenges that we need to come to that reality, if not today, then tomorrow or the day after, because that is the love and the transformation that we need. In your name, I pray, amen.